possibility is such an underrated skill and it can be learned and it can be honed, but we're the only species that has the ability to imagine. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work. I'm your host, Ted McLean-Learn. Yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard, but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Christina, welcome to Looks Like Work. I am so, so, so excited to have you here. How are you today? I'm great. I'm excited to be here with you. So before we dive in, let me introduce you. Christina Langdon is the founder and CEO of Christina Langdon High Performance Coaching and Consulting. And you have so much experience being a passionate entrepreneur, a mentor, a coach, running sales and marketing and amazing brands we all know. But before we dive into all of that and into how you make it work for yourself and how you help other people make work work for them, let me ask you this. How does work look like for you? I don't even know who you were describing back then. Uh, <laughs> but thank I'll, you. I'll introduce you at some point. <laughs> Thank you for that warm welcome. What does work look like for me? I am really fortunate. I get to work with high achievers, people that are either founders or in the C-suite, and I get to work as their sort of co-pilot to help them accelerate their business and to do it with more joy and ease. I love that. I think the first time we really spoke, because we know each other through the Upside community, and we got to kind of know each other even before. But I think the first time we really had like a one-on-one conversation, you said exactly these words, or at least the joy and ease part. And I think like I was feeling at that moment, the moment you said that, I felt how tense my shoulders were. And I felt like a sudden like sense of relief just from you saying that. It's like, like, I want that. That sounds amazing. You know what? I am, you know, I'm the product of my product because I spent 30 years not in joy and ease. I worked really hard. I was really successful, but I was really perfectly miserable and I wasn't joyful and I wanted to, I love working. I'm passionate. I love to be out there helping people. But for me, I was running into imposter syndrome. I was running into perfectionism. I was running into people pleasing, all that were sort of suffocating the joy out of the work that I knew that I could love. So I'm sort of a product of my product. And I don't want anybody to waste any time in those negative things that take us down, I'd rather help them accelerate getting back their joy. So that's a little bit what I'm driven by. Yeah, because I I feel like, you know, thinking about those like high up positions, sales and marketing in corporate America, like 
a lot of us, we really strive, like we want to get there and it sounds super amazing and something to be passionate about, but it doesn't sound very joyful. And like, I think the <laughs> representations that we see, which of course are skewed on the media and like movies and all of that are a lot of times like, yeah, people mm-hmm. doing like extremely well, but not necessarily very calm and relaxed and like loving life. What made you kind of revisit that or take another look at that? Well, it's not rainbows and butterflies, right? I mean, it's hard work is hard work, but if we're going to be at work and if we're going to be working hard, why don't we enjoy more of what we do? And oftentimes we get on this hamster wheel of fulfilling our to-do list, of showing up for our calendar, and it's all by default. And so part of what I work now with CEOs on is taking back their intention for how they want to show up for their work every day. We want to show up more joyful. So how do we do that? And it's really about building sort of the CEO self-concept and the CEO mindset. So you get really clear on how you want to work with your people and what you want to get out of every day. I journal every single day. And in my journal, I write about what does it look like to show up on my A-game today? Because I want it to be an A-game. I want it to be an A-game for myself because I want to feel good. But I also want the people around me to feel good about the work that they're doing with me. Yeah. And I think, I don't remember if we spoke about this because like, spoiler alert, I'm a client. Is that a coachee? How do you you say that? A client's great. Yeah. (laughs) Christina's. And you're such a game changer. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, as a serial founder in many different kind of capacities and industries, I feel like there's a pitfall that so many of us fall Mm -hmm. in. And a lot of us, me at least, have fallen in multiple times where when you get started, you're super passionate, you're super driven, you want to change the world. You're so, you're giddy with excitement. You like feel like the adrenaline coursing through your veins. I don't know if that's how adrenaline works, but let's say it is. And then, you know, and it's super hard because you just have your own, you know, skills and time and scrappiness and all of that. But it's really, really fun because you really feel like you're mm-hmm. in your calling, right? Doing yeah. exactly what you need to be doing. And then once it achieves like a, a specific amount of success or it becomes a real thing, right? Even if it you haven't like really made it you know you can't like still like check that's done but it becomes a real business Mm -hmm. and you sometimes feel like you just built like an amazing golden cage for yourself because suddenly it's less exciting suddenly you're ruled by your calendar as you Mm -hmm. just said but hey like this is something that I made out of my excitement and my passion and what just happened here have you ever felt like that I love that you called it the golden cage. I think that's that's so funny. You know what I hear often from CEOs and founders is that just as you said, the sort of the excitement, the adrenaline, the motivation, the passion wanes. Yeah. Like at you working so hard and, you know, working hard is wonderful, but you can't hustle because the hustle you is not sustainable. So what happens, I kind of equate it to, I think I may have mentioned to you this to you before. I equate it to 
moving from elementary school and into middle school before you graduate to high school. So when we're in elementary school, we're growing, we're having fun, we're out in the playground, we're making friends. And there is that adrenaline and the motivation. And when we graduate to middle school, it's sort of like those in-between years where the pimples come out. It's the teenage years where everything just feels uncomfortable. And I think that we, as CEOs at that time, we say, oh, this feels harder than it should. And it's the time when we really have to think about a relook at our vision, relook at our purpose, and figure out what do I need to do to get to high school? What do I need to do to get back my joy? And really what that means is by scaling, by helping, getting the help from other people to help you scale. And it takes a lot of work. That sort of uncomfortable middle school, teenage years means process. It means setting SOPs. It means being very diligent about your your goals. And it also means leading yourself first to the outcomes to help you lead others with more impact. I love this. And you know, this metaphor hits really close to home because my son just became 16 (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) Happy birthday. Thank you. And yeah, I'm telling you, like, like, listen, honey, you're not the first one. Everyone has their nose travel from the middle of their face into like somewhere very off center for a couple of months. Yeah. So I, I like when you were describing this, I was like kind of seeing this very <laughs> visually. But a lot of CEOs get frustrated. They get frustrated yeah, in those it is, middle those teenage, Yeah. And it's really about getting back into possibility. So think about it. When you launched your company, you were full of adrenaline and motivation and passion, and you woke up every day excited to dig into more of it. We have to recreate that again in those teenage middle school years. And you do that by getting into possibility, really thinking and asking yourself, what if, what is possible for my dreams to come true? What would that look like? What would I need to learn? What would I need to embrace? What would I need to let go? So possibility is such an underrated skill and it can be learned and it can be honed, but we're the only species that has the ability to imagine. And that's where possibility exists. Now, you know that Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Sarah Blakely, they all got into possibility. And people told them that they were all crazy and that their possibilities were impossible. But what they did from possibility is they started believing. And from belief, they took action. And from action, they took results. So in those years where it feels hard... We've got to get back into possibility around what's possible for me, what's possible for my company, what's possible when I start showing up with more impact in my everyday. I love that. You know, that reminds me in the world of tech, when people raise money or rather they raise money for their companies, Mm -hmm. many, many, many times it's easier to raise money when you only have your presentation, you know, your like investor deck in the dream. By the way, lots of women, because we are so, we like to be, again, broad generalization, Mm -hmm. but we like to be prepared. We don't want, you know, we know we're coming a lot of times to the room with like different, a different kind of perspective from investors. We want to be prepared. We want to show that we're bringing our A game, that we're not, you know, expecting too much. So we put like years of our own money and time and hustle and come in with already a working product, maybe even a few design partners or clients. And it's much harder a lot of times to get an investment this way, because Mm -hmm. when it's a dream, it's limitless. 
right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When it's already something tangible, then there are a lot more questions. And I feel like this is exactly kind of the same stage we're talking about because in the beginning, there's so much excitement, but then we need, like, in order to then generate that excitement and motivation, you need to work harder or smarter or like really kind of see how you still are able to harness that imagination and faith and, you know, dream. So you bring up a really good point, particularly around women and even fundraising, because they get what I think it's like 4% of all the fundraising dollars. Oh, 2%. 2%. <laughs> I doubled yeah. it. I doubled it. To yeah, four. that's very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope, right? Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about the uh, what I see with female CEOs is just like what you were saying is that they get to a certain point and then all of a sudden it gets hard and they lose some passion for that dream. And then it becomes a vicious cycle of negative thoughts. Thoughts that say I'm an imposter. Thoughts that say I can't do this. Thoughts that say this is too hard. Thoughts that drain you. And it becomes a cycle. So the CEO really mindset is a mindset that has to be built. It's a skill. You have to visit it every single day because the thoughts of imposter, the thoughts of fraud, the thoughts of wanting to give up that you're not good enough, they can take over. You know, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. 90% of them are in our, yeah, 90% of them are in our subconscious. And most of those thoughts are negative. So really the unintentional way that we are showing up every day is subconsciously negative because our, you know, imposter syndrome, our inner critic, really, we would never speak to anybody the way we sure. No way. Yeah. (laughs) The horrible. It's like the bad roommate that you can't get rid of. Your imposter syndrome, your inner critic will always be with you. You always will have to take it with you. But it's a fear. Yeah. A fear. Oh, and by the way, when we make decisions out of fear, that's the smallest part of our brain. The biggest part of our brain is that imagination. I love that. So we've got to get out of the fear, get out of the inner critic that holds us back. And what's what's important to know is that our inner critic is driven to protect us. That fear, that imaginary fear that we have, that's yeah, all in protect. Yeah, you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to fail. You don't want to get out of your comfort zone. You're afraid you'll be embarrassed. These are things that we have to see. We have to see it for what it is. Like I see that I'm, my inner critic's trying to protect me. But think about it. Is it fear of putting your hand on the stove where you burn your hand and have to go to the emergency room? Or is it fear of walking on a stage for the first time with a brand new presentation. Very different fears. Yeah. Oh my God. Did I tell you about the time <laughs> I presented on stage to 5,000 people? It was no. Like, I love public speaking, but that was a lot, even for me. It was like, oh my gosh. Very, yeah. And there were like, there was a rock. It was like a, the WeWork Creator Awards. Right. It was like Ooh. very much like an American Idol thing. We were, um, in my in my last in my startup, we were selected. Uh, we were five out of like thirteen hundred companies, and wow. I was like all the time. I was like, we will never win this. We will never win this. Not in or like not out of fear, but just like knowing you know the other companies were like very impact helping cardio surgeries stuff like that. And while we were doing a lot of good, it's like it's not about diagnosing autism at baby's first week or healing, you know, heart diseases. So I knew we will not make it to like really win 
out of the finals, you know, there were like three awards and I knew we won't be making it. But still, you go on stage and then, you know, you give your very short pitch, like a minute. And there's like a video of, by the way, Oscar winning producer produced video. Wow. And then you just step to the side and then they call like the three winners and whoever is not called has to walk off the stage (gasps) and think about that. Of course, I had to walk off the stage. (laughs) And then a rock singer comes <laughs> on. It's like a spectacle. Mm-hmm. So when you're, you're talking about like that horrible dream everyone has of showing up to school without clothes or something like that, that's what I yeah. think. <laughs> but when you think about it, Heva, yeah. when you went back after, after you walked off the stage and maybe a day later, what was different? I think I just become more resilient. And I think it helps you be better at decision-making because I knew I didn't want to apply to that, to that competition, (laughs) but it's hard. I think when I first came to you, I was at this conundrum, which I think a lot of people can be not necessarily with this specific debate, but like between very, very strong drive and passion and dreams. And I'm like such a dreamer and I'm such a, an imagination powered person I see what this agency can be. And I, but then like, do I actually want to go that route again? Or am I like, actually like, maybe I'll just stay in my little tiny bracket and like be really, really great at what I do, but not go out of it. And then you're like, is this because I'm really happy with where I am? Or is this because I'm scared? And I think that's exactly, you know, that 90% of thoughts that you were describing. Which is rooted in fear and scare. Yeah. And I would explore it. Like I'm a big journaler because we have all these crazy thoughts in our head. And when you put it on the paper, you can actually leave some of the negative thoughts there. Once you take it out of your head and you put it onto paper, you can leave it there. And then you can also see what your dreams are because they come out. You write every single day. Your dreams will find their way onto that page. That's beautiful. So... One thing that keeps coming up when I speak to you and also on your amazing newsletters, by the way, everyone will subscribe, is the CEO self concept. Do you want to mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the CEO self concept is something that takes a little time to develop. So let's say we're still in that, you know, in between stage where we've lost some of the joy defining and getting very intentional about how you want to show up for your business and who you want to be in your business. A lot of the CEOs and founders that I work with are the people that have grown their business to the place that they are now. So they feel very personal about it. And developing your CEO self-concept is about seeing the CEO separate from yourself and imagining if you were that CEO What would you imagine that CEO would be doing today, this month, this quarter, next year? What decisions does the CEO need to make? And really questioning yourself when you are making decisions, what would the CEO make? We forget that we are that CEO. Building the self-concept is all about building belief in you as the CEO, to build belief, it's about getting very intentional about your thoughts, going back to the thoughts again. What are the thoughts that you want to have today 
as you sitting as, as the CEO, you showing up for your team and your team members, you want them to see you as the CEO leading the charge. Well, who is that person sitting in that chair today? And what thoughts do they need to have? Because you know that our thoughts create our feelings, which put us into action and create our results. We talked earlier about the fear and the imposter thoughts. Those are a lot of our thoughts, which means that's negative, which makes us feel insecure, which we're taking when we take action from insecurity, our results reflect that. So as the CEO self-concept, we want to be creating intentional thoughts that have us delivering results that are far more in purpose of what we want. Yeah, I love that. It's easier for us to be that CEO when we're, you know, having a conversation with you or even with friends, you know, with peers with a piece of paper and we're kind of like, what are my dreams? What are my goals? Mm -hmm. What do I wish for, for my business, for my life? It comes from a different place in your brain or in your heart. But then the thing is, how do you stay accountable in practice? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've been loving, you know, when we, we are working together because it gives me the tools to actually take like these big, amazing, inspiring thoughts and, you know, like I can listen to myself all day, you know, I'll talk about it. I was like, oh, wow, sign me up. But then, you know, actually being accountable to me and to what I want for the business and for myself and carrying it out in practice day in, day out, that's much more challenging. That is, I, have, I love your approach to that. Have a, you have been a joy and a pleasure because you, you strive to grow every single day. So you are working to build your own uh, CEO self-concept in the work that we're doing together, where you're seeing your organizational chart and you're seeing where it needs to grow. You're seeing where the gaps are. When you are doing that type of work, you're actually building your CEO self-concept, right? You are seeing now how you're showing up for your team a lot differently. You're also asking more of your team in different ways, Because you're approaching it from that CEO, you're making decisions from that CEO chair, and you are really putting a lot of practice into what you're doing. Yeah, and I think, first of all, thank you. I I appreciate it. And I agree. And I think, by the way, this, the result is not just believing in myself more and giving myself more time and space to lead and just to rest. It's also giving more space for the team to grow, which is amazing because mm-hmm. it's exactly the type of leader that I want to be. Again, it brings me back to like our very first conversation before we even started working together. Of like, hey, look at your calendar and mm-hmm. see if everything that you want and that you're talking about, it does that even connect to your day-to-day? Do you feel like it's really hard for people to do that? I work with people in their calendars all the time. So the calendar is a direct reflection of the messy mind. If your calendar is not organized, if your calendar isn't reflecting you as the CEO, then it's really a reflection of your messy mind. So many executives show up to their calendar instead of creating the calendar. And you saw that firsthand. I work with CEOs that have leadership teams underneath them, that have teams underneath them, and they're going to all the meetings. And, you know, you're both leading and managing. 
And that is not allowing for CEO time, you know, that super think time that you need for yourself to grow like you've been growing. Yeah, I love that. And it's it goes back to that golden cage because you build yourself yeah. like this structure, which is amazing. It's like everything you dreamt of or like a lot of it. But then you're kind of beholden to like all those specific meetings that have nothing to do like, no, <laughs> you know, I was like yesterday I was double booked for two meetings and I was just told my team, like one of those meetings, like, I'm not going to show up. Are you okay? Then the other meeting got canceled last minute, which the joy of a canceled meeting. Yeah. Right. There's nothing like that. But I was like, we were just like on a, our weekly team sync house. Like, okay, are you still okay to do that? Because I'm not interested. You can handle it. Good for you. Cheers. Making decisions yeah. <laughs> from the CEO chair. That's great. I think that you have gotten so much more intentional. Thank you. And that intention is showing up in, in, in your results. And you use the word joy, the joy of a canceled meeting. Yeah. I love it. It's like, yeah, there, there's nothing like it really. And also I think it's so good to like just practice not immediately scheduling something else. Mm-hmm. Go have coffee with a friend, go take a nap. Don't like jump into like right that moment, like doing five different tasks. I have a tendency to do that. And it just... It's like being on that hamster wheel. You've yeah, got to get off. And, yeah, we got to go for the walk or go, or go for the coffee. But, I, you know, because I have trouble myself of jumping on that hamster wheel, I actually book on my calendar super think time every single week. And that's time that I think about how I want to imagine, you know, get into the possibility of how I want to grow my business how I want to show up, what needs to change, what sort of, how do I want to up-level my standards? I do it every single week because if I don't, I might fall back to that hamster wheel. Yeah. Do you have any prompts that help you or once that's on the calendar, then it's just easy peasy? You know, what's that's a really good question because I use a lot of different prompts, but it really starts with who do I want to become? I love that. That I also use the law, you know, it sounds like a big word. Some people don't like it, but I also think about what is the legacy I want to lead. I love it. I think it's so great. And I think we need to think about ourselves and to speak about ourselves in big, you know, scary words like these, because like, why not us? So as you become more outward facing in your business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to become something new and to become that person. You have to think about what needs to happen in the organization as it stands today to allow you to become that. Right. So when you think about who you want to become, you also have to ask, what do I need to let go of to become that? Yeah. What do I, what do I have to learn to become that? What needs to change? It's right. hard. We sometimes hold so tight into, onto like, you know, you can see like the, the knuckles getting white. Here's another prompt that sometimes brings up a lot of thoughts. What am I resisting? Yeah. So what am I resisting to becoming? And then I would ask, and what are the shortcuts you're trying to take? And then the follow-up prompt would be, if I wasn't taking the shortcuts, who would I become going the long way? So I'll challenge that because I think it's like a kind of a a two-sided coin, coin, like anything in life. Yeah. Because I find myself resistant to taking shortcuts. I think we're so addicted to hard work and to effort that sometimes 
taking a shortcut feels like cheating. Have you seen that? No, but I, you, you're really onto it because I don't think you can shortcut. Like you can't yeah. graduate from middle school to get to high school. You there's with, with running through the years, yeah. you have to go through those years to be able to sort of graduate to the next level. So, but my brain oftentimes will say, I wish this was easier. Yeah. Right. And that's when that, like the shortcut thoughts come in. Well, if I just did this, mm-hmm. but no, I'm a hundred percent belief. Like you got to go the way that you, you like, sort of, it. you have to go through it yeah. to get to where you want. So I love that because I feel like, you know, your experience is, is so structured 30 years and Martha Stewart and Fast Company, all these amazing, amazing brands at these like leadership positions. But then I, you know, we talk and we're talking about hustle and why that that doesn't work. And we talk about the hamster wheel and why that doesn't work. And we talk about feelings. And I think that is really not something that a lot of leaders would have spoken about not a long time ago. And even now, I think there is some resistance. So what made you take the leap? Or have you always seen this? Have you always felt that in order to achieve what you've achieved and people around you, they need to sit in their feelings and figure it out and, you know, listen to their buddies and to their intentions and all that? I don't think we have enough time to go through all of that, <laughs> but I, two things come to mind. So my love of coaching, my love of development started when I worked at Martha Stewart and early on, we were in crisis mode for many years and we didn't really have a lot of HR. We didn't have a lot of support. And so you could find me at the Barnes and Noble on 46th street on any given lunch hour in the I love that Barnes and Noble. Yeah, you don't you, right? Yeah. In self-help aisle in the business leadership because I needed to figure out how I was going to lead my team with more impact and safety around times of crisis. So that was for my love of development, personal development, executive development came from. But as I you've shared and I've said, you know, I've worked 30 years, I worked really, really hard, I made it to the C-suite you know, looked perfect on paper. I was perfectly miserable and I was tired of my misery, but then guess what? I was diagnosed with AML leukemia and I truly believe that I was putting myself under a tremendous amount of stress. Mm. I was people pleasing. I was leading my life to the expectations of others and also expectations that I had for myself. And it didn't feel congruent. And I got sick and I went into treatment and it was a year long battle with AML. And I got into possibility saying like, I want to live my life on my terms. And what did that look like? And what I knew was that just as you were saying earlier, that like, I wasn't in touch with my feelings. I wasn't in touch with who I was and how I wanted to show up. And I don't want people to have to go through a crisis to be who they want to become. So I now support people to achieve that without, before they get sick. Yeah. So many of us do, like you just wake up when something happens. I remember sitting in like a steroid treatment and just saying like, I don't want to live like this anymore. No, it's not even yeah. worth it. But I I wish that there was more people, as you were saying, talking about the feelings. I mean, when you think yeah. about it, if you go back and 
Think about the people that have most impacted your life, the leaders, your bosses, other founders that you've worked with. You're going to find the traits that you most are reflective of them are going to be emotional traits. So skills, yes, skills get us in the door, but IQ, EQ, EQ, emotional intelligence is what keeps us there. But feelings have such a negative connotation. And I want to sort of like supercharge the positive feelings around empathy, around flexibility, around self-awareness to help people be able to show up with more joy and ease in their business. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Do you find that following, you know, the last few years of the pandemic, political, financial, economical upheaval and everything, do you find that people kind of, is it easier for them to start working on themselves before a personal medical crisis? Well, I do think that coaching coaches, Mm -hmm. executive leadership trainers are more in demand than they've ever been before. Because I think the stigma, I mean, originally when you hired a coach, it was probably because you're, you were in the penalty box at at, 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 in corporate, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or you worked for IBM and that was part of their development plans for you. Right. But now the business is really taken off because corporations are no longer supporting the development of their people like that before. So I think it's lost some of the negative stigma. And I think that people see that they need more support more than ever. I mean, we know that the mental health challenges are rampant everywhere. And people are so much more aware of like toxic leadership or just toxic culture and how it kind of penetrates into your like life, right? Into your soul. And people know that they can't change them. Yeah, I wrote a post this week saying that, you know, oftentimes we want our teens to be more productive, collaborative. We want them to show up stronger. We want them to do more. And we think it's on them. Yeah. But really the only thing that we can change is ourselves. And so yeah. coaching allows have, that, That's that. the only person we have control over. But, but don't we get sometimes in that hand, in the, the wheel of thinking like, if I only, wish they would do. If yeah. only, right. So yeah. totally. Yeah. Just like you said with the shortcuts before, like it would have been so much easier. And it's like yeah. a little bit of a victim kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times with good cause, but like we still need to work on ourselves because that's the only person we can work on. And oftentimes we give away our power when we expect from others and they're not meeting expectations. Sometimes we're giving away our power. The power that we can give to ourselves, I mean, oh my God, that's amazing. When we really can see the how, what we can change with our lives simply by changing how we're showing up. I mean, it's a game changer. I think so often we also kind of walk through life and work with kind of these blinds on. And this came up in my episode with Amelia, who's also our podcast producer and an amazing, amazing human being. And she said when you know, she started her business. She loved her business. She has an amazing podcast producing studio, but she was still holding herself to the same standards of like if she would have been employed elsewhere. And Mm. I don't know what prompted her, but at some point she was like, Hey, wait a minute. I'm the boss. I can question this. I can decide, you know, what's the rate of growth that I want to go for? How many hours do I work? all of that. And I think I also had like that moment. And as you said, like we, a lot of times give away power because sometimes like we don't even question, like, do I have to, 
give mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. that power or do I not have to? And having someone to coach you through and to help you ask the questions is so helpful because it's so hard when you're in your head, no matter how aware of a person you are to like, just even like see that there's another possibility. Yep. And there's, that's how you develop your CEO self-concept. That's exactly how you do it. That's amazing. So how was like, how did you find really the shift from doing what you did before into what you do now? How do you like fill your cup? Because I think you're there for so many people and you're so helpful and you help them figure out things. And I'm sure it could be very fulfilling, but I also feel like it could be a little bit draining. What's, how, how do you take care of yourself with, within all of that? You know, that's a really good, good question. You know, the honest answer is some days are more draining than others, but I get such joy from meeting with dynamic people like yourself who just need one or two thought prompts to help them change everything. I mean, it's so exciting to see the results and the changes that can come really, really quickly with people. It gives me so much back. So I love what I'm doing. It doesn't mean that it's easy every day, but I love what I'm doing. And I love the dynamic people that I'm working with. And most of them, like yourselves, are doing really amazing work and they're employing other people. I mean, the ripple effect of results is incredible. What we do together ripples out to your people, which, which ripples out to their, your clients. I mean, to me, I take I take a lot of energy in that, but I also take really good care of myself. I mean, I've, I've learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest self-care outside of the working out I do, which I think helps my mental energy, is that I journal every single day about who do I want to be sitting in my own CEO chair Who do I want to become? And how do I want to show up on my A-game today? I write about it every day. I love that. What types of workout do you do? I I feel like I I remember seeing something on Instagram. I do a little Peloton, a little uh, strength training, and uh, a lot of walking. That's amazing. I really fell in love with walking during covid I was never, like, I always loved walking, you know, in Tel Aviv or in New York where you walk and you see stuff and you like kind of experience stuff. But I used to walk in the park with my mom. It felt like I love my mom, but it felt like really boring going in circles. Why are we doing this? All of that. And then during COVID, right at the beginning, I was like, okay, we need to do some physical activity because otherwise we're doomed and there will be no movement around this house. And I started doing yoga, like mm-hmm. on YouTube with uh, yoga with Adrian, if you know her. And I, I've never done yoga before. It like sounded to me like the most boring thing that you can possibly do. And that was amazing. I actually was just mentioning my back before. So I really need to get back to you it. You need to get back to the yoga. Yoga is amazing. It was amazing physically, but it was even more amazing mentally. It just like filled my cup in such a meaningful way. And the other thing that I started doing is walking. And the funniest part is, you know, how I made fun of me and my mom walking in circles in the park. I started walking just back and forth on my balcony, like just back and forth, back and forth in lockdown where we couldn't, you know, go Mm -hmm. beyond, you know, a hundred meters, which is like not a lot of feet, but (laughs) I kept doing it after And something about it 
I don't know if I'm just maturing or something else. Something about it is so meditative. And I just I was just thinking that it's meditative. A, a podcast or music or sometimes just nothing. And you know, I don't journal and I really should get into it. But what I do do sometimes is I just would open my WhatsApp or my Slack app or whatever that has a microphone in it and just record my thoughts. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's another, that's a a good substitute for the journaling. Yeah. I, you know, I get really creative when I walk. I love that. It's where my mind starts relaxing to the point where like new ideas, new energy comes up, new thoughts come up. So walking for me is not only healthful, but it also is sort of a, a source of new thoughts for me. Yeah, I think it's like having ideas in in the shower because it's like it frees mm-hmm. up your mind. Because like I always joke to my team that for someone who loves writing and who's been writing since like the age of four, I hate. I really hate writing. Yeah, <laughs> just because it's like it can be so intimidating sometimes. Like you just see the blank page or something, and sometimes you know beyond like just my daily walk, I'll just go on a short walk and just talk to whatever app has a microphone in it because it's it's kind of less daunting than like sitting in front of the the Google Doc or the notebook or something like that. It's kind of... Do you listen to your thoughts back? Sometimes I do. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't need to. I I already Mm -hmm. remember. And then I go back to the computer and I jot it down somewhere and I like turn it into a whole strategy and, you know, then it's like just takes it a life of of its own. And sometimes I do listen or I'll share it with whoever is relevant to the project, or I'll just kind of keep it to myself. I have like my kind of Slack group with myself. I, I love that. And I wonder if you would consider taking some of those thought prompts on your walks with you and who am I becoming? Yeah. What do I need to learn? What do I need to embrace? What do I need to let go to become her? And what will be different when I'm there? It would be interesting if you talked about it uh, and recorded it. And I love that. You, I'll try use, it. Yeah, use that to, for motivation on those days that you know are more low value instead of high value. Yeah. You know, another thing that I do, I have a really hard time meditating because I'm mm-hmm. ADD and also, you know, all the, you know, subconscious negative thoughts come on. And when I walk, it's kind of, I have like lower resistance because like my Mm -hmm. body is like busy doing something else. Sometimes, sometimes instead of a podcast, I'll just take a meditation with me and it makes it just easier. That's, that's great. That's really great. I love the meditation when you work. I've done that before on a couple of, of apps that have it. Yeah, it's amazing. It sounds like that's a really good self-care for you. And so, you know, when we think about a couple of things that we've talked about today, self-care is really important. For sure. And I feel we're all so much in our heads all the time, especially people who work with their heads, you know, what we call knowledge or information workers and leaders who are, that's what we do. We, we, think big thoughts, we lead, we communicate. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy, I find for me and for a lot of other people too, to forget that we're not just a brain, you know, we're a whole human being. And a lot of times it it takes something pretty devastating to call us back into that and to remember Mm -hmm. that we need to take care of our body. 
but sometimes doing something even like very low stakes and very easy, like walking, right? Yeah. Can help us just connect and be more grounded. And the next time that you have that meeting that gets canceled, <laughs> the joy of a canceled meeting, go yeah. take a walk, go take a walk. Yeah. Go you know, meditate. FOMO, it's like a JOMO. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's completely the JOMO. I love a, that. Yeah. Joy of missing a meeting. I love that. Joy of missing a meeting. I love that. Christina, thank you so, so much for joining me today. So I want everyone to check out Christina's newsletter because it is amazing. It is not very short. It's thoughtful. It will stay with you for the rest of the week when you read it. Uh, Or you can also follow her on LinkedIn. I think it's similar, right? Yes. Yeah. So whatever floats your boat. And Christina, what's like, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Like, what's something that inspires you? Something you enjoy reading or listening to? So a couple things. I think my favorite quote that I say often and a lot is that you are the biggest influencer in your life. And when you recognize your influence over you, it's a game changer. I love so that. That's You're sort the of biggest my, influencer in your life. In your Amazing. life. And once you realize it, I mean, you see that there's so much possibility that you can create from your influence with you. That's my favorite quote. You know, I think I've talked to you about this before. I love the book, The Gap and the Gain. The Gap and the Gain is written by Dan Sullivan and a partner whose name is is escaping me right now. It's a short book. Dan Sullivan was one of the original business coaches. He's written many books, but this book in particular is all about helping people to recognize they have everything that they need to be the success that they want to become. And it comes from everything that they've created up until now, because you're a success. Why are you a success? It's because you've created so much already. Oftentimes when we go into the gap, um, we are comparing, we are in need, we are hustling like we talked about earlier. And that is a treadmill that's going nowhere. But when you can really leverage your success and see your success and build on your success, so much gain comes from it. So that's that's my favorite it. book right now. Do you know the quote by Ira Glass? You just reminded me. It's like one of my, I'm going to quickly Google it because it's one of my favorite, favorite quotes. It's pretty long. As you're looking for it, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite quotes that's sort of in support of this model that they've set up is from Steve Jobs. And he said, you cannot connect the dots yeah. looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. Yeah, that's a good one. So this one is from Ira Glass. I think he's uh, the one who started This American Life, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And it's one of my favorites. It's really long. I'll I'll, I'll read it out loud. I already did an an episode long ago, so I think it's kind of due uh, (laughs) a reread. So he says this, nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there is this gap where the first couple of years you make stuff, it's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game is still killer, right? And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting Mm. creative work went through years of this. This is exactly what he said about 
not graduating, right? Mm-hmm. Like not taking a shortcut, Christina. We know our work doesn't have this special thing that we want it to have. We all go through it. And if you're just starting out or you're still in this phase, you've got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is do a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story. It's only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> it's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. And now like, I feel like everything is coming together because it's just so much of the same things. And I think we all, and we all feel so alone in this, Yeah, but it's just a shared experience and we need to go through things. And I love that you said about the book that we can also take a look backwards and say, hey, mm-hmm. I've already done that in one place or in one vertical of my life. And that means I pr- can probably do it again. Do it again. And think about it. There's no fear because you've already done it. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Christina. I had so much fun. And I think this is so valuable to everyone listening. And I'm just so grateful to have you in my life. Oh, this has been a joy and a pleasure. (laughs) So, (laughs) So thank you very much for having me. I have enjoyed getting to know you over the last several months and you are amazing. And I love your podcast and I'm flattered to be a guest on it. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course, the episode's show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week, and I share thoughts, links, books and just other things that I find thought-provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week, and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com. And I really hope to see you there. And of course, to see you here next week. Have a good one.